Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Well, are you glad to be here tonight? Amen. It's wonderful to see you. This is a wonderful Monday evening crowd. I do this every week somewhere, and I'm going to tell you, once you get to the month of June... Uh, sometimes attendance is not as good for a month or two until you get back into August. But, Brother Jason, this is a tremendous Monday night crowd. And I'm blessed uh, to be here, blessed what God did yesterday. And I have been telling my wife how beautiful your church is. I'm in all kinds of churches. I love this church. But I couldn't help but notice y'all don't have a clock on the wall. Um, I don't, I'm in a different Baptist church, mostly Baptist, almost every Sunday. And they have clocks on walls. Uh, some of them have huge clocks on walls. I, I was preaching at a church in North Carolina. They had the biggest clock on the wall I've ever seen, Brother Philip. It was huge. And I was so intimidated, I kept commenting about their clock. And they kept saying, Brother Rick, don't worry about our clock. Just preach. But I couldn't help it. I kept talking about that clock. I came in one night. I think it was Monday night. A huge piece of cardboard was taped up over the clock. And, and I did something real unusual that night. I preached an hour. I use it on go over 55 minutes. But that night, I went an hour, and nobody said one word to me. Not one word. Came in the next night, and the cardboard was down. <laughs> Up and down. And I'll, I'll never forget that. But, but I've certainly enjoyed being at Rocky Valley during these days. And I'm excited what God is doing. We've only got two more nights. And I pray you'll be faithful these last two nights. And I'm amazed, always amazed as an evangelist at the different sermons God puts together for the different weeks. For the second time in three services, I want to preach a a message that uh, I haven't preached in a while, an older sermon. But I just believe somebody needs it tonight. I I just believe we need to talk about the coming of the Lord. And Brother Philip had no idea what I was preaching tonight, but that last verse... That song, when we got all excited, reminds us Jesus is coming again. And I'm preaching tonight on this subject, taken, taken. Take your Bibles and find Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, as we look at the incredible subject of being taken. There's a word that jumped out at me several years ago in preparing this message. I'd never really noticed before. And I want to talk about it tonight. Would you stand for the reading of the word of God? Everybody standing all over the house. I'm in Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to begin reading the words of Jesus. And teenagers, the big preacher's preaching tonight. Jesus is preaching. And look what Jesus says in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 37. Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came. Now listen to this. And took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be, say that word, taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill or the mill house or the workplace. The one shall be, say it, taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come, but know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would have come, he would have watched and not would have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. I'm preaching tonight on this subject, taken, taken. Thank God for the reading of his book. Please be seated and pray with me. My Father, I'm grateful to stand here again tonight and preach the Word of God. Thank you for the opportunity we've had tonight to praise your holy name. And now God, I ask for your divine touch, for your unction, For your anointing. 
God, I pray that I would be a man tonight that would be yours. My tongue would be yours. My thoughts would be yours. My heart would be yours. Forgive me, God, right now, if there's any way I failed you this day, God, that I might stand here in purity and preach. God, I beg you to loose me and let me go. And I declare to my enemy that he's a liar and he's a loser and he is not welcome in this place tonight. So God, surround this place with your holy angels and we promise to give you the glory and we'll thank you and praise you right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. In John 14, 3, Jesus said, if I go away, I will come again to get you. Sometimes we forget the coming of the Lord is going to change all the ills of the world as far as we're concerned. I love the story of the preacher that was invited to preach at a church. And he came to preach at that church trying to become their pastor. And it happened to be Mother's Day. And he was already nervous. He's preaching in this brand new church on Mother's Day trying to impress them. And it was already scared to death. Went to an old preacher friend of his and said, I'm really nervous about preaching that Mother's Day crowd. Uh, could you tell me something to kind of loosen them up? A little anecdote, maybe a little joke? And that old boy said, I got the perfect joke, preacher. Get up on Sunday morning before that Mother's Day crowd and say this. Say, ladies and gentlemen, it's Mother's Day. And some of the greatest days of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. He said, now when you say that, pause for dramatic effect and then say, it was my mother. He said, they'll just laugh. They'll think it's so cute. He said, it'll just clear the air. That old boy got ready to leave and the old preacher said, but don't forget two things. Number one, don't forget to tell your wife what you're going to do. And number two, don't forget to pause. That makes the whole joke. Well, it came Sunday morning. The old boy got up to preach and he forgot two things. Number one, he forgot to tell his wife and he forgot to pause. Here's what he did. He got up so nervous and said, ladies and gentlemen, said, I want you to know that it's Mother's Day and some of the greatest days of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And before he could even say another word, his wife, who was a little spitfire, a little hothead, sitting on the front row, screamed, what? And she jumped up, stood up on the pew, threw her purse at him and knocked him down. Son, he didn't even have time to pause. She stormed out of the building. Well, that preacher got up so flustered and so bothered. Here's what he said. He tried to finish the joke by saying this. And for the life of me, I can't remember who that woman was. Son, I'm going to tell you, that old boy forgot something pretty important, didn't he? Hey, can I tell you something? If you watch the news today, you might have forgotten something pretty important. If you look at what's going on in the world around us, it might make you think that the devil is winning. You might look at what's going on and think that evil is going to overcome but you forgot something very important. And can I tell you what it is? God Almighty is going to have the last word. One of these days, Jesus Christ is going to step out in the clouds and an event's going to happen called the rapture. And he's going to take folks out of this world. We will be taken. Not kidnapped, but caught up. Taken. Not raided, but raptured. Taken. Not taken by a criminal, but taken by the king. We will be taken when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair and the saved of earth gather over on the other shore and the roll is called up yonder I'll be there son I pray I'm one of those that's still alive when Jesus comes and I'm not going to come up out of the ground but I'm going to drop this body and be taken y'all do know Jesus said that was going to happen Matter of fact, he said it twice in two verses. Look what he said again in Matthew 24, verse 40. Jesus said, then will two be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. 
He said it again in verse 41. Two women will be grinding at work. Literally is what he's saying. One will be taken and the other left. Uh, Brother Philip, I love that word taken. That Greek word taken means to draw to or to receive. But don't miss this. It's an intimate word. It comes from another Greek word that means to have a relationship with. Now, buddy, you put all that together. That means one day Jesus is going to come take a bunch of folks. But the only folks he's going to take are those who have an intimate personal relationship with him. That means you're not going to be taken just because you're a nice guy. You're not going to be taken just because you're a good old boy. You're not going to be taken just because you love the state of Tennessee. You're not going to be taken just because you're an American. You're not going to be taken just because you've been baptized. You're not going to be taken just because you like gospel music and gospel preaching. The only ones who are going to be taken are those who have a personal, intimate relationship with the one doing the taking. And son, I believe the taking could take place right now. I believe we may not even go home and I may not go to my hotel tonight before the taking takes place. Imagine if the taking took place right now. Y'all know what happened? Sitting over here, going to be a bunch of folks leave all their clothes laying on the seat. Not going to need those anymore. Going to get a brand new robe. Sitting over here, going to be a bunch of folks leave their truck keys and their car keys laying on the floor. Not going to need those anymore. From now on, you're going to fly everywhere you go. And sitting over here, going to be a bunch of people leave your credit cards and your debit cards and your wallets and your checkbooks and your purses. Not going to need those anymore. You're going to go to a place, hallelujah, where everything's paid for. And one of these days, we're going to be taken. I got three things to say about being taken. In this simplest of sermons, and by the way, this is somebody's mail tonight. You need to know how I sought the Lord this afternoon and had no idea I would preach this sermon. Somebody's here by the divine appointment of God. I believe there are three reasons that I'll be taken. Number one, I believe I'll be taken because there's a promise. I need to say that one more time. There's a promise. Look how Jesus began the text in verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now he had preceded that by telling us no man knows the hour. But he warned us that the culture or the climate teenagers would look exactly like it looked right before the flood. He said if you look back at the flood, it's the barometer of what the world would look like right before Jesus comes again. In other words, he said it'd be a world of bad news. I don't like bad news just like you don't like bad news. I, I get up every morning either at home or in the hotels I stay at around the country. And for the first few minutes before I start working or studying, I'll turn on Fox News. I don't turn on any other news. It makes me too raging mad, son. I end up talking to the television. And so I just turn on, don't, you'll know what I'm talking about. So I just turn on Fox News. And I'll watch Fox News. And I was home one Thursday. I was off the road and... Uh, Two of our little granddaughters live about an hour from us, I told you, in St. Augustine, Florida. And they were up visiting our home in Jacksonville. One of them, the little four-year-old, came in the living room while I was watching the news. And she wanted to watch something else. See, the last six or seven years of my life, when I became a grandfather, I've learned a new language. Words I didn't know before. Six, seven years ago, I didn't word, know words like Doc McStuffins. I didn't know words like Jake and the Neverland Pirates. I didn't know words like Elsa and Anna and Olaf. And I'm going to be honest, I'm about ready for them to let it go, aren't y'all? I mean, I didn't know all those words. I didn't know all those words six or seven years ago, but I've learned all them words. Son, my granddaughter came in the room and she said, I want to watch Doc. Now I know who Doc is, Doc McStuffins. 
And so I turned Doc on the, the DVD, the, the, the DVR player, and old Doc came on. And I sat there, she cuddled up next to me, and we're watching Doc. And I got so caught up in Doc, it's really pretty good if you've ever watched it. And I got caught up in Doc, and I didn't know that my granddaughter had left after about 10 minutes to go back to the playroom, and I'm just watching it all by myself. My daughter walked in the room, and she said, Daddy, she said, Braylon, that's the four-year-old's name, Braylon's left the room. You don't have to sit and watch Doc all by yourself. You can turn back on the news. And I sat there for a moment. I talked about it. I said, no, I think I'll keep watching Doc. It's a lot better than the news. I mean, can I get a witness? If you watch the news very long, it'll sicken your stomach. If you watch the news very long, you might lose your breakfast. Now, folks, I'm telling you, I'm not a predictor because God says no man knows the hour. But when I look at the season we're living in, it's amazing how it parallels the world before the flood. I'm not going to turn to it because of time. If you're noting, you can write it down. But in the book of Genesis chapter 6, God gives us three characteristics that were prevalent in Noah's day that I believe are prevalent today. And by the way, the first point of this sermon is a little gloomy, but I want you to know we're going to heaven in point two now. So hang on, don't miss this. But I'm going to tell you why I believe we're a lot like Noah's day. I believe the days of Noah, just like our day, was the day that was vicious. If you're noting in your Bible, in Genesis 6 verse 5, God makes an amazing statement. He says, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that Hebrew word for wickedness is incredibly profound. It has about eight different meanings to try to describe that one word. It means days of rage, days of demonism, days of viciousness, days when everything nailed down is coming loose. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not being dramatic, but we're living in those kind of days. We're living in vicious days. Did you know I live in Jacksonville, Florida? And last weekend from Friday until Sunday a week ago, 12 people were shot in Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, we're living in a day when it seems all hell is breaking loose. Did you know Paul described this day? Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, he mentioned a word one time in 2 Timothy 4, rather. He mentioned a word one time in the New Testament, and it is the word perilous. He said in the last days, perilous times would come. You know what that word perilous means? Vicious days, days of rage, days when everything is going to be turned upside down. So I told you, I'm not going to be gloomy long. We're living in a vicious day. Then second, I'm not going to pull any punches. The days of Noah were vulgar days. For in that same fifth verse of the sixth chapter of Genesis, he says, the imagination of the thoughts of man was evil continually. Soon you know, he's talking about the moral climate. He's talking about a sculptor sculpting clay. That's the word picture. It's a picture of a man who is so wicked that he is devising his own sexual standards to do whatever he wants, especially when it comes to marriage. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have to elaborate for you to know we have stretched the marital standards. I don't have to elaborate for you to know we're living in a day when we've shook our fist in the face of God and said, God will do what we want to. Now, folks, I'm not being intolerant and I'm not being hateful, but I'm going to tell you God designed marriage and God meant for a man to marry a woman and a woman to marry a man. And I kind of like the arrangement, don't you? That's what God said. And we're living in a day when man says, morally, I'll do what I want to do. I want to tell you something. No generation in history has done that since the days of Noah and the days of Lot. So we're living in a day, watch me now, that's not only vicious, that's not only vulgar, but it's violent. And he uses that word twice in Genesis 6. He said, the world was full of violence. He specifically says violence. And that word is referring to the, to the lack of sacredness for human life. So we're living in that day. But that's not what I want to preach to you. 
Because I not only want to preach about the atmosphere of Noah's day, but I want to preach about the attitude. Because the attitude reminds me we're living in Noah's day. Look at verse 38. First, in the days that were before the flood, right before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now, students, those two, those four words, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, have nothing to do with evil. Now, drinking is not talking about drunkenness. When he uses those four words, he's talking about a generation that planned their schedules and lived their lives without any thought of God. That's what he's talking about. See, that nut is out there in the desert building that boat. He's been building that boat for 120 years. And can you imagine that crowd that laughed at Noah? Oh, come on, son. It had never rained in human history. And that old boy was saying it was going to flood. Why, they thought he was a lunatic. But they'd go out to laugh at him and periodically he'd put the hammer down and put the hammer down. He'd start preaching. Peter called him a preacher of righteousness. And they'd just laugh at old Noah when Noah said, the day's coming, the flood's gonna take you out, you better listen. And they'd laugh at him and walk away. Now folks, I'm certainly not comparing myself to Noah. But I want to tell you, a preacher like me or your preacher or our brother can get up and sing a song about the coming of the Lord. And somehow there are folks that might think that event is way off somewhere there in the future. And they're planning their life without God. They're making their schedules without God. They're eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. But buddy, the Bible said one day while they were doing that in Noah's day, God Almighty shut the door of the ark. The fountains of the deep broke up. Water began to pour down from the sky. Folks began to beat on that ark, but it was too late. And I'm going to tell you on the authority of the word of God, there's a promise in the Bible. One of these days when folks least expect it, King Jesus is going to step out in the clouds. He's going to shout. There's going to be a trumpet. I'm going to be jerked out of this old fleshly painful body. And I've already claimed my new body's going to have long blonde hair. And I'm going to blast off to meet Jesus in there. Don't you tell me to calm down, son. I'm telling you the rapture's going to happen. You know why? Because it's a promise. It's a promise. A daddy and his daughter were swimming in the ocean one day. They were great swimmers. And before they looked up, the tide had taken them out. And the daddy knew they were in trouble. They were well over their heads. And the daddy knew this. The tides were so treacherous that if they both tried to get back into the shore, they would fight one another and pull one another down. They would lose strength. And the daddy, listen to this, sir, made an incredible decision. The story said that he looked at his daughter and he said, baby girl, daddy's taught you how to swim and you're a great swimmer. And daddy's taught you how to float and you can float for hours. Baby girl, I want you to lay here on your back and I want you to just float. Now I'm leaving you. And she looked at him strange and said, I promise you I'll be back. I'm leaving for just a little while and I'm going to get help. And I promise I'm coming back. She said, you promise, Daddy? He said, I promise. That girl laid back on her back, put her hands behind her head, serenely looked up at the sky and just began to float. Said it took that daddy an hour to get into shore, secure a boat with some friends, and get back out to get that girl. They thought he was a neglectful father. They thought he was an abusive, cruel man to leave his daughter out there in the ocean. They thought, we'll never see her again, never find her. Sure enough, they came over the white caps and there she was. She was bobbing on the top of the waves, just floating on the water, looking up at the sky. The first man pulled her into the boat and looked at her and said, I can't believe you're not even shaking. You're not even trembling. Weren't you the least bit afraid? She said, why no? My father promised me that he was coming back. And my father always keeps his promises. Now, folks, I don't care how turbulent the world gets. I've got a promise from the Lord that one of these days he's coming again, son. And I believe he keeps his promise. Well, I'm going to preach to you now. 
Number one, I believe I'm going to be taken because there's a promise. Number two, I believe I'm going to be taken. Now listen, there's going to be a problem. Now I said it's going to get good. It is for the Christians. Going to be a problem. For look what he says there in verse number 38. Preacher, verse 39. Preacher, I'd never seen this before till a couple of years ago. The Bible said they knew not until the flood came. Now watch this. And took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now folks, you would think from an English speaking definition, that word took and the word taken mean the same thing basically. And in English grammar teachers, they do. But not in Greek. The New Testament's written in Greek. And I was amazed when I saw that. Remember, the word taken means to be received or drawn to. But the word took, are you listening? It means to be abandoned and overwhelmed in judgment. Look at it within the context. The Bible says in verse 39, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. That's a problem. The flood came and took them, overwhelmed them, abandoned them in judgment. See if I can illustrate that. I was preaching in North Carolina a few years ago. And I told y'all yesterday, I preach in all size churches. One of the most fascinating things about what I get to do in the fantastic body of Christ is the different size churches I go in. And there are no little churches or big churches. But I'm telling you, I was preaching in North Carolina a few years ago and it was a small building, much smaller than your beautiful building. And there was about 75 people there that night. And they had one center aisle in that, in that building and them old wooden pews. Y'all remember them wooden pews? Oh man, I mean, you'd hear sound off those pews. It just resonate. And I was sitting on the front row waiting to get up to preach. And the pastor's wife was right behind me uh, sitting, Miss Liette, with her five-year-old son. He was about five years old. And that boy had a little bit too much sugar that day. Either that or he was A, D, 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 D. That kid was wired, son. He was running up and down the pew, bouncing on the end of the pew like a horsey. I mean, the whole, one time I'm trying to praise the Lord, Philip. He gets under the pew and crawls between my feet and starts playing with my shoes and socks. Now, folks, if you're not expecting that, I'm going to tell you that'll get your attention. And I'll tell you the first thing I thought. I was way up in the mountains. I thought, my land, I'm in a snake handling church. One of them's gotten loose, man. And I'm telling you, I was going to put a new door in that wall, son, because I hate them snakes. Well, it was that little boy. I looked down and he's between my feet. He's grinning at me, son. I play on my shoes and socks. And that kid talked the whole worship service. I mean, we're singing and praising the Lord. And I suppose he said a hundred times to his mama, take me out. I want to drink. Take me out. I want to drink. Take me out. I want to drink. He said at least a hundred times. And every time he said it, she'd go, shh, 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 shh. And it just sounded like a bunch of rattlesnakes in the church. I mean, just resonating off that wood. And finally, that mama had had it. Ladies, y'all know what I'm talking about? Finally, that old boy crossed the line. Somebody was singing a song right before I got it to preach. And that little kid said, take me out, I want a drink. And that mama grabbed his arm and is taking him out right in front of me. Because the restrooms were over here and right here. And you could see that kid's putting on the brakes. Hold it by his, by her body language. You could tell it was going to be a bad day, son. And that kid's trying. Now, it's always hilarious when it's not your kid. And that kid's putting on the brakes. And here's what he's saying to the top of his lungs. He said, never mind, never mind, never mind. I'm not thirsty. I'm not thirsty. I'm not thirsty. And son, I read this passage one day. Preacher, and it suddenly hit me. That kid wasn't being taken. He was being took out. Y'all got it? There's a difference between being taken and being took out. That kid was fixing to be overwhelmed in judgment. Now, friend, you better remember that because that's what the scripture's talking about. Now, folks, it's a lot more serious here. There's nothing funny about this part. 
For I'm telling you, those that are left behind will be overwhelmed in judgment. Can I just stop for a minute and remind you about the rapture? I know I'm in the Bible Belt. I know folk know about the rapture. But maybe you've come in this building tonight and you're not sure about this event we Christians call the rapture. Can I just describe it for just a moment? Paul wrote about it in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Has it ever occurred to you that those of us who are saved are going to hear the voice of the Lord? Oh, come on, son. I got no other ears to hear him with but these. Now I'm going to get new ears right after I hear him. But I'm going to hear him with these ears. You believe that? Say amen. Amen. I mean, come on, son. The one that hung the universe in place. The one that called Lazarus out of the tomb. The one that walked on the water. The one that spoke and leprous limbs were healed. And demonic folks were set free. And dead folk got up. I'm telling you, he's... By the way, y'all know Jesus only shouts three times in the whole Bible? And every time he shouts, dead people get up? Did y'all know that? Oh, come on, son. He shouted at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus got up. He shouted on the cross. John said with a loud voice in 1930, it is finished and dead folk woke up in the graveyard. He's going to shout one more time. Paul said he's going to shout and I'm going to hear his voice. And you know how quick it's going to happen? Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, it'll occur in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. He said that the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us that are still alive will leave these bodies behind, a body of no pain, a body of pain and sorrow to get a brand new body to fly away and meet him in the air. I was talking to a 16-year-old girl one day and she was under the impression that heaven was going to be some like a, a boring eternal retirement home. Her attitude, and I'm not putting her down, her attitude of heaven was we're going to get to heaven one day and get a brand new robe and then we're going to get a puffy, fluffy white cloud and sit on it and pluck our harp every once in a while and eat grapes while an angel fans us. Are you kidding me, son? That's not what heaven is. I'm going to have a body just like Jesus. Do you know what kind of body Jesus had after his resurrection? He walked through solid walls. He traveled at fantastic rates of speed. He flew without a backpack or a hang glider or a helicopter. You say, Rick, I don't like to fly. You will. You will. I mean, I'm going to have a body, a body that'll eat and not gain weight. Hallelujah. A body that'll eat and not have cholesterol. I'm going to have a brand new body. It's going to happen that quick. It's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I'm going to get a brand new body and faster than the speed of light. I'll, I'll be gone so fast the devil won't know where I went, man. I'm going to leave this ground and blast off to meet Jesus in the air. You know why I know that? Because there's a promise. What about those who don't believe the promise? You got a problem. See, everybody's not going to be taken. I love you, but I got to preach this on this Monday night. You're either going to be taken or you're going to be took out. Everybody in this building, you're either going to be taken or you're going to be took. One of the two. What about those who are not taken? You got two problems. I'll give you these and I'll go to my final point. Problem number one, you've got the problem of great separation. There's a word I've left out on purpose. It's the last word of verse number 40 and 41. And this is amazing. Only God could write this. Look what it says again. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other. What's that word? Left. The last line of verse 41 says the one shall be taken and the other left. Folks, you know, that word left is the same Greek root word as the word took. Isn't that amazing? It means to be overwhelmed or abandoned in judgment. Tim LaHaye in the great series, Left Behind series, describes being left or being taken. And that's what the Word of God's talking about. You're either going to be left or you're going to be taken. One of the two means overwhelmed or abandoned in judgment. You know, it, it occurs to me 
as I speak to teenagers around the country, our teenagers, high school teenagers, even those young adults that are in college, they, they don't remember 9-11. You realize it's been 16 years this year. But those of us who are old enough, you remember exactly where you were during 9-11. Why, it's one of those events in your life, you'll never forget it. Some of you remember where you were during the space shuttle disaster, where, President, where you were when President Kennedy was assassinated. But those of us who are old enough to remember, remember where we were at 9-11. I'll tell you where I was. I was in your state. I was in Cleveland, Tennessee, preaching a revival meeting on that Tuesday morning. And I was studying in my hotel room before I met the pastor for lunch. I was in my hotel room and a phone rang, phone rang and it was my oldest daughter. She had not called her mother first. She called me and she's weeping. She said, Daddy, turn on the television. And I turned it on and I turned it on just in time to see one of those twin towers starting to go down. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know what I'm fixing to say. The first thing I did after that was call my wife. Because that's what you did. When you first found out about 9-11, whether somebody told you or you heard it on radio or on the internet or on television, you called your loved ones. Because you didn't know what was going on in our country and you wanted to talk to somebody, especially a loved one. Now, I'm not minimizing 9-11. Please do not misunderstand this next statement. For it rocked our country and it changed our world. I now have to go through security checks at airports because of 9-11. I have to do all kinds of things I didn't do 16, 17 years ago before 9-11. So I'm not minimizing 9-11, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying it wasn't important, it wasn't impactful, and we ought to remember it. But I'm telling you, unless you had a loved one in Washington or in Pennsylvania or in New York, though it might have made you raging mad, it did not personally affect your life except for the fact that you were an American and you stood for America. See, we're trying to say, preacher, I'm trying to say the rapture will be different. The rapture will be a global event all at the same time. I need to say that one more time. The rapture won't be limited to New York or Pennsylvania or Washington. It'll be a global event. All around the world, 196 countries will be impacted when people leave this world to go meet Jesus. Can you imagine if the rapture occurs in the morning in rush hour traffic in Nashville, Tennessee? Can you imagine? Here's some old boy driving down the interstate and all of a sudden he sees the chaos of wrecks in front of him because there are driverless cars. Because when the rapture comes, the car is going to stay while the driver goes, man. And that old boy's looking at the impact. One accident makes us sick to our stomach. Can you imagine this man seeing all this carnage in front of him? But he manages miraculously to get over to the emergency lane. First thing he does is pick up a telephone and call his wife. And when he calls his wife to try to describe to her what he's seen, she doesn't answer the phone because his wife is saved. And that man's never going to speak to his wife again for she has been taken and he has been left behind. Here's a student coming home from school. He pulls his earbuds out of his ear late in the afternoon, throws his backpack on the table in the living room, says, Mom, I'm home and I'm hungry. Mom's in the kitchen already cooking supper. And that old boy walks in, but Mama's not there because Mama's saved. Her clothes are laying at the base of the stove. Food is boiling over the stove, but she's not there. She'll never cook another meal for him again because she has been taken and he has been left behind. Can you imagine that lunatic? They all thought he was a lunatic. That fanatic Christian down at the business office. Everybody thought he was nuts. All he did was sing praise and talk about Jesus all day. But by the way, he's the one everybody went to when they had a prayer request. When they had a burden in their life. Well, they can't find him. 
Reports are coming in all across the internet about people missing. They go to his corner office. He's not there. His clothes are laying in the chair just like he was sitting. His Bible's on the desk. Picture of his wife's on the desk, but he's not there. He's been taken and they've been left behind. Can you imagine the daycare center where the frantic parents and the policemen are pulling up looking for the little children, but they're not there. Their, their little stuffed animals are laying on the floor. Their little sippy cups are laying there. Their, their little backpacks and their unopened lunches are there, but those children are not there. Those parents will never see those children again because those children have been taken and they've been left behind. Can you imagine that senior adult down in the terminal care center in the cancer unit? They can't understand why that lunatic sings all the time when she's about to die. Well, they can't find her. Her tubes are unhooked. They're laying on the floor. They're looking under the bed sheets. They're looking under the bed. And one of the nurses said to one of the doctors, I don't know where she went. She's not strong enough to walk. Honey, she ain't walking. She caught a first class flight courtesy of Air Jesus and she's left this world, man. I mean, she has taken off. Can you imagine? Folks, none of us can imagine the bedlam. None of us can imagine the chaos that's going to happen right after the rapture of the church. I'm glad I won't be here to experience it. Amen. But if you're left behind, you will have great separation. Husbands will never see their wives again. Two will be in one place, one taken, one left. Wives will never see their husbands again. Two in one place, one taken, one left. Parents will never see their children again. Children will never see their parents again. Do you understand? We're talking about two people side by side at work, one taken, one left. Side by side of the locker room at school, one taken, one left. Side by side on the church bench, one taken, one left. Side by side in the bed at home, one taken, one left. There's a problem of great separation. But I'm going to give you this one. I'm going to go to my final point. There's not only the problem of great separation. There's a problem of a grim destination. For you see, the Bible says in verse 40, excuse me, verse 41, two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one taken and the other left. And the one that is left is going to experience a world they don't want to experience. And then end up in the grim destination of a place that is called hell. And I know nobody wants to hear about hell on Monday night. But folks, I've made my reservations to miss hell. I've settled out of court. I've decided to determine in this life what's going to happen in my future. And that's to know Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, before I stop, and I know I don't need to throw this in, but I'm going to throw it in. And I'm not being argumentative, but there may be somebody in the building say, Rick, you don't know what you're talking about because eschatologically, this is a second coming chapter, and it is. Brother Jason, I know exactly where I'm at. Eschatology is the study of end times. And I know Matthew 24 is a second coming chapter. See, the second coming and the rapture are two different events. Y'all know that, don't you? Oh, come on, son, at the rapture, he's coming with a shout. At the second coming of the revelation, he's coming with a sword and a stallion. At the rapture, he's going to stop in the clouds. At the revelation, he's going to stand on the earth. At the rapture, he's coming to remove. At the second coming, he's coming to rule and reign. At the rapture, he's coming to take out. At the revelation, he's coming to take over. I'm telling you, the second coming of Jesus Christ won't be a hostile takeover. It'll be a holy takeover. He's coming to take back, take down, take names, and take over, son. He's coming all the way to the planet, but not at the rapture. At the rapture, I'm going up. Now, by the way, this is a second coming chapter. What do you mean, Rick? It's a tribulation chapter. And I know where I'm at. And I'm not trying to tell you. You say, preacher, are you going to tell me you're one of those pre-guys and that you're not going through the tribulation? I'll be glad to talk to anybody about that after the service. But I'm not going to stand here and waste time talking about it right now. I'm going to say this, though. The rapture of the church must come before the second coming of Christ. How you know, preacher? Physics 101. I'm riding back on a white horse. 
I can't come back on my horse till I go get my horse. I mean, duh, I've got to leave to come back. Somebody say amen, amen. Say, Rick, why are you preaching this that way then if this is a second coming chapter? Because I'm in that old fundamental camp, Brother Jason. Not just because some of my heroes are, I just believe it in the word of God. I'm in that old camp that believes while this is a second coming chapter, verses 40 and 41 are magnificent pictures of the rapture where two people are in one place, one taken, one left. But watch me before I go to my final point. Those that are left behind will be left behind to experience something they can never imagine. It's, it's the time to get saved because there is a promise. Number two, there's a problem. I'm closing, closing. Number three, there's a priority. Don't miss this. There's a priority. Look what it says in verse number 42 and 43. And preacher, I really believe he's preaching to the church because his disciples have gathered with him on the mountain. They're the ones talking to him. So this is our mail, church. Look at verse 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. If he's the Lord of your life, shout amen. Amen. This is our mail. He said, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken up. Jesus compares himself to a thief only in characteristic, but not character. A thief comes unexpectedly. Then our mail again, verse 44 Therefore, be you also ready for such an hour as you think not the son of man comes. I want to say this because it's revival time before I wrap this sermon up. Rick, what are you trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say it's possible to be saved and not be ready for the rapture. I'm going to say that one more time. It's possible to be saved and not be ready for the rapture. Say, Rick, how do you know you're ready for the rapture? Number one, I'm saved. But number two, I'm walking in obedience, serving the Lord. Now, folks, I'm going to preach something now that some folks are going to think is legalism. And I don't have time to go into it in great detail. But first, I want to be saved. Then I want to be baptized. I'm going to say that one more time. Then I want to be baptized. Don't you leave a misunderstanding. It does not mean if I don't get baptized, I'm not going to heaven. There is no cleansing power in that water. But I'm telling you, baptism is obedience to Christ. It's a big deal. It's the baby step of obedience. How in the world can you grow in the Lord or walk in the Lord if you've not met him at the baby step of baptism? And the reason I preach this with so much fervor is as a traveling evangelist preacher, I see it around the country. We've got hordes of believers that have been saved but not baptized. Many of them got baptized, then they got saved. Well, you need to get baptized after you get saved. It's a believer's baptism. Some Christians doubt their salvation because they've never been baptized. It's the truth. It's the baby step of obedience. All right, I'm not a legalist, but I want to be saved. I want to be baptized. And bless God, I want to be a frontline Christian. I don't want to be back in the pack somewhere. I don't want to be A-W-O-L. I want to be a singing, serving, shouting, preaching, praying, praising saint when Jesus comes again. I want to be looking for the coming of the Lord. As someone said, I want to be looking, longing, living. On the day I'm leaving for the coming of the Lord. Look at me because I love you. You may be here right now and you're a Christian, but boy, you've gotten cold. You're a Christian, but the things of God don't move you like they once moved you. You're a Christian, but as our brother stood and let us in praise, you don't feel much like praise of the Lord anymore. Maybe you slipped away from the Lord. You're not living in gross sin, but you're away from the Lord. Folks, I do not want him to be ashamed of me at his coming. Doesn't mean I'm not going to be caught up. I'm not saved by works. I preached that last night. But I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. So let me say this to you before we pray. Do you know that you know you're saved? If you died tonight or the rapture came, do you know you'd go to heaven? February the 14th, 2014. 
course, February the 14th is Valentine's Day. Friday night at our house is our date night. I've been a traveling evangelist 29 years. Friday night is date night because uh, that's my night. I'm going to be free at home for sure, Thursday and Friday usually, but that's our date night. So Judy and I will go out on Friday night. And buddy, if date night happens to fall on Valentine's Day, you better go out, man. And so it was Friday night, February 14th. My wife and I went out to dinner and a movie. Came back and we were packing our bags. She was going with me that week and we were flying to Alaska. Had a revival meeting going to begin on Sunday in Anchorage, Alaska in February. Let me say that again. Anchorage, Alaska in February, son. Well, they come, they come to church in February in Alaska. So she was packing her bags with me. It was 9.30 at night, 10 o'clock at night. We had a 9 o'clock flight out of Jacksonville International the next morning to fly to Anchorage. 10 o'clock at night, our telephone rings. And it's my oldest daughter, Rachel, who lives in Augusta, Georgia. And Rachel's weeping. And she said, Daddy, we just had an earthquake in Augusta. I said, really? And she was really, and this is no pun, shook up. I mean, that girl was troubled. She said, Daddy, Brian, that's her husband who's a preacher, said we were sitting on the couch watching television and all of a sudden she said, Daddy, the pictures behind the television, you could see them, Dad, they were shaking. And we could hear the plates rattling in the pantry in the kitchen, in the shelves in the kitchen. And said, Brian said, Honey, we're having an earthquake. She said, Daddy, we ran to the front door. Brian opened the door and he said this, You could literally see the street lights in their housing development gently swaying against the sky. It was 4.1 earthquake. Now, son, 4.1 is not a big deal in Alaska or California. It's a big deal in Augusta, Georgia. It started in South Carolina, Edgefield, South Carolina, rolled through Augusta, and tremors were felt in Atlanta, 150 miles away. She said, Daddy, it was an earthquake. We prayed with her, talked with her, made sure everything was okay. There were no aftershocks. Spent about 30 minutes on the phone with her. Got off the phone with her. Judy and I finished packing. Got up the next morning, did not call my daughter. Said, we'd let her rest. She'll call us. Took that flight from Jacksonville to Atlanta, then to Minneapolis, Minnesota before going into Anchorage. And while we were in Minnesota after lunch, just sitting there at the gate area before we got on the plane to Anchorage, I called my daughter one more time and I said, baby, you okay? She said, yeah, daddy, I'm okay. And we talked for a few minutes and I got off the phone and said these words to my wife. I said, I can't put my finger on it, but Rachel is still full of anxiety. And there's just a, there's a, there's a fear in her voice. Didn't say anymore, didn't call anymore, got in Anchorage. The next morning, had church. Pastor and I and my wife and his wife went out to lunch together. Got back to our hotel about 1.30 in the afternoon. Now in Anchorage, Alaska, it's four hours time difference between there and Augusta, Georgia. It's three hours from here. They are three hours earlier than you, of course, out there. But four hours in the east. 1.30 in the afternoon on Sunday afternoon, Brother Jason, I'm fixing to call my daughter again. Literally, I put my hand on the phone and it began to vibrate. It was ringing. And I picked it up and my daughter's crying again. And my daughter, who was just barely 30 years old, said this to me, weeping on the phone. She said, Daddy, I want you and Mama to know I got saved this morning. And I said, what? She said, Daddy, I got saved. She said, Daddy, I've doubted my salvation for years. I've walked the aisles of churches. I've been baptized a couple of times. I've prayed a thousand prayers. But she said, Daddy, there's never been a point of surrender in my life. Daddy, there's never been a point of repentance in my life. And the other night when that earthquake hit, she said, I realized the Bible's telling the truth when there'll be earthquakes all over the world in the last days. And it was before God gave me this sermon. And she said, Daddy, I realize if the rapture comes right now, my husband and my two little girls will be taken. You and mom will be taken. My brother and sister will be taken, but I'll be left behind. And she said, this morning, 
at the house. Brian prayed with me kneeling beside the couch and I prayed to receive Christ. Said I walked down the aisle at church this morning, made it public, getting baptized tonight. I'll send you and mama the video. Son, I prayed with her, rejoiced with her, got off the phone. And preacher, I put the phone down. It suddenly hit me. My daughter got saved. My daughter who's been in church every day of her life almost. I mean, almost. My daughter was in church nine months before she got here, man. In the choir and she didn't even know it. I mean, my daughter was in all the vacation Bible schools. My daughter was raised in church. My daughter met her husband at our student camp, registering people at the table, uh, meeting those thousands of kids that came through camp all those years. My girl never did anything immoral in church all of her life. And now she's married to a preacher. Her daddy's a preacher. Her granddaddy who just went to heaven, my dad, is a preacher. Her brother's a preacher. Her, her cousin's a preacher. She's surrounded by preachers. Goes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Preschool director, choir member, Sunday school teacher, fantastic mother. But if she had died, she had died. She would have died and gone straight to hell from a church pew. If Jesus had come, she'd have been left behind from the church. She got saved. And the week after that, I was relating that story to somebody. And some man said, Brother Rick, how's that make you feel? I said, what? He says, that make you feel knowing your daughter was raised in your house, but she was playing a religious game and she was lost. I said, it don't matter. My daughter's saved. See, one day my daughter will stand before Jesus Christ. And on that day, it's not going to matter who her daddy is. On that day, it's going to matter who her father is. So let me ask you, who's your father? Who's your father? Who's your father? Would you bow with me all over the building, every head bowed, every eye closed? Brother Phillip's coming. and Brother Phillip, I'm going to take a few minutes tonight. So just go ahead and make yourself comfortable. I'll pray again, brother, before you play, but every head bowed, every eye closed. I do not know why God, excuse me, I do not know why God wanted me to preach this sermon on this Monday night. Trust me when I tell you I came armed this afternoon to preach something else until God got a hold of me several hours ago. I just believe there's somebody here. Now, I want you to listen. I'm not a confusing preacher. Brother Jason, I'm not a manipulative evangelist. You know that or you wouldn't have had me. I abhor evangelists that try to talk people into something. I abhor that philosophy of evangelism. Anything I can talk you into, the devil will talk you out of. But the truth is, we've got folks that are members of our churches that are not really saved. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Jesus said, not everybody that calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. I believe somebody needs to get saved tonight. Brother Jason, I believe there's somebody sitting in this building that, was just like, that is just like my daughter was. A good, faithful church member that's prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, but you've never had a point in your life where you've truly surrendered your heart to Christ and you're sick of living in the doubt. Don't you want to settle it tonight? Don't you want to be sure tonight? Matter of fact, I want to do it just like this. And yes, I'm taking my time with this. Everybody in this building will either be taken or took out. That means everybody in this building is either saved or lost. When I say now, I want everybody to shout saved. Now, saved. Now I want everybody to shout lost. Lost. Do it again. Saved. Do it again. Lost. One more time. Saved. Lost. Now I'm going to say it. Saved. Lost. When I say the word saved, what does God tell you in your heart? Because he don't play games with us. When I say the word lost, what comes into your heart? 
See, there's somebody here right now, I believe, that needs to settle their salvation. Say, Brother Rick, if I walk down that aisle, what's everybody going to think? Who cares? Man, we're talking about being saved, pleasing the Lord. Somebody needs to do that tonight. I'll tell you what else needs to happen in this service. Somebody needs to walk down this aisle and tell this preacher I need to be baptized. Preacher, I got saved after I was baptized. Or I've never been baptized. And I need to make public my salvation be baptized. You know what that's going to do? That's going to encourage somebody needs to do the exact same thing. And then finally, if everybody here is saved, if everybody here has got their baptism in order, I believe there's a Christian who needs to get right with God. The pastor's here and this altar's open. Say, Rick, if I walk down that aisle, everybody's going to know I'm not right with God. Folks, it is the mature believer that seeks God at the altar. And I'm going to invite you to come and lay that before the Lord. I'm also going to do what I did last night. I'm going to invite you to pray for the lost. And I know you can pray at your seat, but there's something about wetting an altar with our tears. I want you to stand all over the building with heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to pray, and when I finish praying, just like every service, my brother's going to begin to play. As he begins to play, I'm going to invite you to come. Somebody here is lost, and you need to settle it tonight. Pastor's standing right here at the front. Somebody needs to come for believer's baptism. And I don't know why I keep pounding that. I just believe it in my heart. But if everybody's saved and I don't know, God's in charge. There's some believers that need to do business with the Lord. It's one thing to shout about the rapture. But it's another thing to say, I know that I'm ready spiritually to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Father, I've had a good time tonight because it's exciting to preach about the rapture. But my God, it is sobering. To know this event is coming in which lost people will stand before the great white throne judgment. And some Christians, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and their Christian life will have been considered worthless because they're not serving you. God, I pray people wouldn't worry about what people think. I pray in a good crowd this size, folks wouldn't let a crowd bother them. I pray for somebody who's already heard in their heart they're lost. I pray they get saved tonight. I pray for somebody who needs to get baptized. They'd come and make that public tonight. And God, I pray for believers that need to do business at this altar tonight. God, I pray they wouldn't quench or grieve the Spirit of God, but they'd obey you. And we're going to praise you right now. In Jesus' name I pray. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, this is not a secret service, but I want you before the Lord. My brother's playing right now. As he begins to play, taken or took out? saved or lost who needs to come tonight right now just as the music plays just as the music plays take a step right now come on God bless you ma'am just come on come talk to the pastor God bless you big man just come on talk to the pastor he'll be with you just wait right here who else needs to come right now say I'm stepping out right now who's next Thank you, big man. Just wait right there. Would you just do what God told you to do right now? In a moment, my brother's going to begin to sing. As he begins to sing, you do business. Those that are waiting for the pastor, just, just wait for him. He'll pray with you in a moment. God's moving in the house tonight. Saved or lost? Taken or took? Come on right now as my brother sings.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.